Hello and welcome to the Cashflow Show. The world of property has produced some amazing personalities. Kirsty and Phil, Sarah Beanie, Kevin McLeod, anyone? Our guest on today's Cashflow Show could be that next personality. If you want to find out who she is, then stay tuned right after the intro. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello, and welcome back to the Cashflow Show. My name's Clayton M. Coke, and I'm your host for today. And I'm with the wonderful, and I see if I can pronounce this right, my pronunciations are becoming legendary, Ugo Arenze. You nailed it. Hey, thank you. Ugo Renze. Tell them who you are, what you do, and, well, just tell them who Ugo Renze is. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you, Clayton, for the opportunity to be on the show. Um, As you correctly pronounced, my name is Ugo Renze, and I am founder and managing director of Onyx Property Consultants. And we are a boutique property services firm, our independent estate agents, and we are part of the Keller Williams Global Network. So it's some exciting times in real estate, not without its challenges, but um, I love what I do and I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. That's really helpful. At least that gives our, our listeners a good idea of what you do and how you do it. Now, a little bit more about you. What's your role in your in the business? What's your role? Well, I set up the business back in 2012 originally, primarily working with buying clients. Having come over from America, I was very used to the way the model works there. And in in America, both the buyer and seller are represented. So when I came over here, I originally came over in a different role, but I noticed what was happening in the property market, in the property sector, and felt that buyers really didn't have anybody looking after them. So I set up the business initially to work with buyers as a buying agent, property finder, but we started expanding because we felt that clients really needed somebody who could look after them from start to finish. So really it was to set up a property services business that's based on a different model than the high street agency model. I see. Now, we have to come back to your accent because you've got that very soft American accent, which is very, very interesting. (laughs) Where were you from originally in America? Or were you born in America? I was born in Nigeria, um, grew up in the States, in New Jersey, but also lived about 10 years in Washington, D.C. before moving over to London about eight years ago. So what made you come to London? So it was a journey. I had been a real estate investment banker for many years in America. And so that was great training, worked at a bank, structured deals, and really got really comfortable with looking at real estate as an asset class. Did that for a number of years. Along the way, I started buying property for myself as an investor, doing some flips, doing some even some interior decorating, and really quite enjoyed that. So I thought I would leave the bank after about 10 years 
to launch my own small-scale development business in Washington, D.C., but I got the opportunity to come work for an architect in a finance role, and that's what got me to London. So I really wasn't looking to move to London, but it was a unique opportunity that I decided to embrace at the time, and I'm really glad that I did. It got me to London, and I love London. I can tell that, and we'll come back to that in a moment um, or a bit later on during the um, podcast. So in terms of business, is this your first business? It is my first business, yeah, because I really came from a corporate banking background, so I had never been an entrepreneur before. But I will say um, along the way, I was starting to do some deals for myself on the side. So as I mentioned, I've been an investor, so bought properties from a rental perspective, also done some uh, properties to fix them up, refurbish, sell them on, and I've done a few of those in my career. But yes, to officially kind of launch a brand and build a business, this would be my first one. So in your realm or in in, in your life, you've been more of a corporate person initially. Why did you decide to A, go into business for yourself and B, ultimately, why was it that you chose property? Well, it's almost like I felt like property found me, right? So I had a specialty in banking specific to real estate. Ah, right. Okay. So all the deals I did had real estate as the underlying asset. So we were lending money and to large corporate owners of real estate. So REITs, opportunity funds, hotel companies, developers, lending them money. So it was really a good fundamental training over the years to understand real estate, see how it works, why it's different from your traditional operating companies. And so, you know, and then along the way, right, Fundamentally, real estate is housing, right? So everybody needs a place to live. I bought my first property, then thought about adding property to my portfolio and buying some additional properties. They were cash flowing quite well for me. So I think along that journey, I've seen, uh, because I had that banking training and background, I could see opportunity in the real estate space and felt comfortable to take advantage of that. And so when I started the business, it was quite natural for me because I had an eye for real estate. So I was kind of coming to London, working for someone else, but I saw how the market operated here and felt like, whoa, this is quite strange that buyers don't have any representation. In America, agents are licensed. So there's real training, there's a real skill set. And so as I set the business up, I really felt that I could offer clients not just help buying, but also, for especially for international clients, I could help them buy the property, put a tenant in and look after it from a rental perspective. And then if it needed any level of refurbishment or fixing up, I could do that as well. Why? Because I'd done all those things over the course of my career. So I felt actually like I could bring my entire background to help my clients. And so I'd done all those things. So hopefully it's something I could bring from that perspective. I find that fascinating insofar as when you see, and we're going back to America now, obviously that's where you grew up. Obviously my perspective of America is from a few visits, having family there. And real estate in America seems really kind of, it's honed to a fine art. Whereas British estate agents, and I'm not meaning to diss any estate agents. I don't want the estate agent lobby chasing me with pitchforks, <laughs> um, uh, riding me out of town. But it, the uh, 
the American version of real estate seems just so slick, so very, very smooth. Everything from the way that it's presented to the way that it's dealt with, which makes British estate agents seem a bit, dare I say, dowdy. Yeah, I think, you know, we describe it as in the UK, it's almost like the wild, wild west, right? So anyone can set up. And in America, agents are actually licensed, which means state by state, you are trained as a real estate professional. But it also means in America, agents get more involved with the contract side. So there really is a fiduciary responsibility. And so you're right, I think compared to here, and it's it's also very individual and personal driven, right? So a real estate agent or a realtor is an individual that's building their business. Whereas here, the high street agency is more about a corporate brand. And then the people who are estate agents work for that company, whereas in America, we work for ourselves. So you're an independent, self-employed person. And it really means, I think, that you're doing work you like and enjoy, hopefully, and you're passionate about it. And it's your business. You're building your business as opposed to being an employee for someone else. But yeah, you're right. I think the training is very different. It's at a higher level in America, which again is where I felt that given my background, having been a real estate banker, having been an investor, having taken interior design classes, having laid tile myself and and painted, that I really could offer clients a very experienced real estate professional working and looking out for them on their behalf. And then when Keller Williams came into the market, I was able to add the sales side. So what's nice about the model now is that I can still be an independent or small scale firm, but I have the backing of a larger corporate and we have the physical resources of a larger corporate entity. The training is spectacular and we've got this global network. So I work still with a lot of Americans coming over. I've had referrals from Keller Williams agents for people selling in the UK. And so we can really leverage that that international network. It's funny that you mention that how in America, every realtor, for want of a better expression, is acting as their own self-contained business. What I found in terms of the work that we do at PRMS, we often, often end up acting for people who have got into dealings with an estate agent or with somebody who is letting property. And it's all turned really, really, really quite nasty. And because, as you said, there's no licensing and there's no structure, it is very much like the Wild West because the name on the uh, on the sign could say Strawberries Estate Agent, yeah. but it's owned by somebody completely different. And you spend most of your time trying to find out who that person is. Do you feel that the UK is really missing out on that opportunity for legislation? And if so, maybe how would it work? I think absolutely. And that's why I got excited about offering a different level of service, because I think that there's a really big gap in the market. And beyond that, Clayton, you you deal with, you know, credit issues and litigation issues. I think actually the way the model is set up creates that, right? Because if you as a buyer are going to an estate agent that really works on behalf of the seller, they're not really working on your behalf. And so you're asking them, well, what do you think I should offer on a property? Well, what do you think they're going to say, right? (laughs) The most amount of money possible, or they might not give you all the information you need to have to make a right decision. So absolutely, I think that there is a need for more legislation to create 
a more licensed industry standards in terms of how agents work and really actually creating a separation between a buying agent and a, a selling agent so that both parties are properly represented. And so that's where I think that there is a big opportunity and that's why I feel really passionate about what I do because when I work even with sellers, again, the way the model works traditionally is high street agents go about taking on a lot of stock. And for them, it's really about a numbers game, taking on a lot of stock, knowing that they're going to sell a fraction of it. Yep. Whereas we work from a model, whereas I take on fewer stock, but it's really to sell everything I take on. And that means really being honest with clients. So there's a bad perception of estate agents here because a lot of people don't see the value in what they bring. And the model, again, is a lot of estate agents might overvalue a property, tell you you can sell it for 900000 but nothing in the market is showing you that that value is credible. And then they rely on putting it on the portals, you know, leaving it over time, and then eventually telling you to reduce the price. Whereas if you start with a property that really analyzes what's happening in the market, does your comparables, looks at how buyers are seeing value and helping your sellers understand that, and then also demonstrating how you're going to be more proactive. So you really, again, when I work for myself, that means if I don't sell your home, I don't make money. So I think I'm fully incentivized to get you the best possible results. And I think that's where we can really stand out and there's a real opportunity, so. Well, as the, as the Americans say, you've got skin in the game. You've got real skin <laughs> in the game. And so one of the things, and you know, there's the online agency model, which is, you know, at one end of the extreme, you've got the high street agency model at the other end. And we feel like we're offering a bespoke agency model, which is a hybrid using technology, but you get an individual that's passionate and cares. I did viewings last night at 6 p.m. on a Sunday evening because my client, actually my buyer, needed to come back and see it for a second time. And that was when she could do it. And my seller appreciates that, you know, I'm making every effort to try to get as many people in to see that property. I can see that. I mean, I remember having an experience, which I won't forget, with a particular estate agent, which starts with an F. It's a chain, so I'm not going to say any more than that. <laughs> and F isn't because I want to be rude and say other words, but it does start with an F and never mind. I won't tell you how it ends. But what their scheme was, was ultimately, or it appeared was, there was a local seller and there was this chain beginning with F. And their attitude was they would come in and do exactly as you said, give you the impression. And this was their model at the time. And so it might not be their model now, it might be a completely different situation, but their approach was ultimately, guess what? We are going to tell you that your property is worth, say, 500,000, when locally it's really showing at 425, 450 maybe. You, they then put it on for 500 and then ultimately get their commission based on that. However, effectively, that then sales fails because obviously nobody buys it at 500k but you're still paying the higher level of commission you were hoping to make in profit and it leaves a bad taste in people's yeah mouths it does because yeah. because at the end of the day ultimately for me i felt that to a certain extent it was completely unnecessary because the reality of it was was that i could see that they want to make a profit and i was trying to say to the guy i said no disrespect to you you come across as a nice guy i see where you're coming from however you're trying to sell an apple product in a samsung market mm. 
or in a hoi way market, whichever way you want to put it. But the fact is you're trying to sell this top of the range service, when, which is completely unnecessary. The house was in Neasden. You know, it's, it's not Mayfair, it's not whatever. You know, so it's very interesting, as you say, you, you are trying to bridge that gap between having sort of the, the overreaching um, effect of having a bigger a chain, if you like, but with that personal feeling that you will get out there at six o'clock of an evening, Sunday evening, when you could be having a cocktail or two. <laughs> yeah, leaving, leaving your, your dinner plan. Look, but I think the reality is, Clinton, that the market doesn't lie. It might not be kind, but it doesn't lie. And so when I you come across, if I'm competing on a deal and maybe I value the property as less, and then the sellers are saying, well, the other agent came in and told me 100000 more, I will ask based on what? Because again, and this is where my banking background comes into it, the market is based on supply demand, that's it. And buyers are going to be out there comparing your home to other properties. So it doesn't matter what you paid for it, doesn't matter how long you've owned it, buyers don't care. They're gonna, just the same way, they're gonna shop for a car and say, my budget's 10,000. If they go to one dealer that's giving them the whole, I don't know, GPS package and wireless package and DVD package for the same 10,000 pounds on the same car and the other dealer isn't, they're going to go with the one that's going to give them more for the same price. Of course. Otherwise, they're going to go back to the one that doesn't give the package. Maybe they don't care about the DVD. Maybe they don't care about the sat-nav and say, okay, I don't need that stuff. Therefore, I'm going to pay less. That's the reality of it. Before when in London... Property prices were escalating all the time, right? And it was a seller's market. Yes. So a lot of estate agents could actually get away with overvaluing because the market would eventually catch up. Now that things are definitely more challenging, have stalled, have flattened, are declining, we feel it's really important to get that figure right. Because if we don't get it right, we almost call it we're chasing the market down, right? So you started at a price that was too high and four, six, eight weeks later, the price could even be different. And it could be a lower price now because the market sees your property as being tainted, as stale, as older, as on with multiple agents. So there's a lot of clues that we can take from how people perceive your property relative to the others that are out there. And we say, ultimately, price and presentation sell homes. My job as an agent and our job as agents is to expose your property to the widest possible audience. But ultimately, I can't force somebody to pay a pound for a bag of sugar that's worth 60 pence, period, end of story. Even if I show it to 10,000 people, what I can say is, I've shown it to as many people as possible. Here are all the things we're doing. So we old open houses. I do flyers. I do email alerts. I work with other agents, offer them a fee. We put it on Right Move and Zoopla and Prime Location. But there are more proactive things that you can do, especially in a tough market, to demonstrate to your sellers, here's how we're going to market your property. And then people see the value in what you're doing. And if the market doesn't respond, it's not because we didn't expose it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that's, that's the whole point. I think the problem is, is that there is always this tension between the property market, between necessarily buyers and sellers, and especially in terms of what people feel that agents or representatives do or don't do. 
There are, what's your take on the idea of or the concept of, for example, purple bricks and so on and so forth? These are things that are looking to be more attractive to people who believe that the estate agents have had their way for too yeah. long and there's going to be an uprising. Yeah. You yeah. Know, what what yeah. do you say to that? I say there's an opportunity for all of us. And for some people, perhaps the purple brick sell-it-yourself model might work. However, I say buyer be careful, right? Or seller be careful in that situation because you wouldn't think about representing yourself in court. Why would you think that you can represent yourself when it comes to selling your oh, home? Oh, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe how many people feel that they can do their own yeah. debt recovery. And, and so because it's like, oh, it's my home. And I run into a lot of sellers. Actually, it's almost the worst case scenario because you're very passionate about your home. People are very personal. Oh, we did this and we did this. And my home shows better than the neighbor down the road. And you're kind of like... No, it doesn't. And you have to demonstrate. I, I face that all the time. So A, if you're not getting that advice from the beginning in terms of how to price your home in a way that's going to be competitive, you're already setting yourself up. Now, Purple Bricks and the others are based on a flat fee model. But if your home doesn't sell, you've paid that expense, of right? Course. Regardless. Then you're also, you're the one that has to do the viewings and everything else. And you have to engage with people that about a home that you're probably very vested in. So I would argue you need someone defending you that you trust is looking out for your best interest. Having said that, some people want to do that, perhaps if you've been in the property market all day long. What we get excited about and being part of Keller Williams is our company is, I think, invested over a billion dollars into technology. Why? Because we see that there's a space for technology. There's an opportunity to give people the best information that we can. But whereas Uber, you know, is hiring drivers, right, and then researching driverless cars, it's like drivers of Uber, you're creating income for a company that's going to put you out of business, Correct. right? Whereas we feel like our model is about using technology, but ultimately it's people still want to do business with the person, especially when it's their prized possession, especially where it's the most expensive asset of their life. Why would you leave that to yourself if you're not a real estate professional? I'm in the market every single day. I know the comps. I know what's happening. I can speak to that and help demonstrate that. And so, uh, again, the purple bricks model might be good for some, but on average, they actually show, I think, that they end up netting less for their sellers because they're, they're not pricing to the market and they're not really getting it right from the beginning. So we feel there's an opportunity, but for some people, every model will work. And I'm not for everybody, but I'm great for the people who want a hardworking agent and who's somebody who they feel is really going to work on their behalf. I agree with you. And the reason why I agree with you is because I experience the same type of thing. You get people come along and they'll say, oh, you know something? Well, I could go to the county court myself. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, of course yeah, you yeah, could. Yeah. Now, let me give you some tips yeah. on going to the county court. Bring a book because yeah. <laughs> you're going to be there a long time, exactly. baby. You're going to be there a long time. And these are the things that – and what you do, you have to explain to people. For example, recently – and oh, there was a leak in my bathroom. I didn't decide to put on a pair of overalls and get a wrench and start doing it. Yeah. 
because I'm going to flood the place. <laughs> yeah. You know, if yeah. I'm going to flood that, I'm going to make it 10 times. I'm going to call in people who know yeah. what they're doing. And the fact is, I think, as you said, there's nothing wrong with the purple bricks and um, an analogy and, or, and situation. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I think the problem with most people is, is that the, you have to be an incredibly confident person to do it. And you have to be a person that understands protocols. You have to understand how things work. And you can only get that, really, by experience. And, that, and that's what you offer. That's it. And I think, again, that's why I feel so passionate about it for myself, because with my training as a banker, and, and banking is all about risk and return. And if you come from it from that perspective, you can help people understand the data and help them see how that actually informs what's happening in the market, right? So when we talk about we're in a buyer's market, that means there are fewer buyers out there for the same level of stock. Therefore, we don't have the luxury of pricing it out of the market. And I have a lot of sellers that say, well, just bring me an offer, or just bring me... I said, the point is, if we're so far above what buyers are looking for in that area for your amenities, they have so much other choice. They're not even going to make an offer. I have buyers who say to me, oh, I don't want to insult the seller. What do you think if I did this? And so if you're so far out of the gap, of course, you're not even getting offers. And so that's what the reality of this market. If we were in a seller's market, then perhaps we have that luxury, right? Because we have so many buyers chasing so few stock. The dynamics change, of course. right? Because everything starts with fundamentally supply and demand. If you don't understand that, I can't begin to represent myself as a lawyer, although I could argue my case, you don't know the nuances of law. You don't know. I'm working with first-time buyers recently, and it was about preparing them ahead of buying. So people jump into buying, and I said, we're going to have to present our best offers, but here's how we're going to go about doing it. We're going to do our research, make sure we understand, make sure you're ready. We've got the solicitor lined up. We've got the mortgage offer and principal lined up. All those things will help present us as strong buyers. People just go into it, and then you don't realize if you show up as a first-time buyer, a lot of estate agents say, oh, I don't really want to work with first-time buyers because they don't really know what they're doing. I'd rather work with someone who's been in the market, who's an investor, who knows. There are tricks and tools we can use to make sure we're getting the best deal for you. And But people have to see value in your service. And I think in this market for a long time, people haven't seen value in estate agents and just feel like, oh, you're just going to put it on the portals and what happens, happens. And maybe for a while, that's all estate agents did and could get away with it. Now we can't and we have to hustle for it. And that's what I'm excited about. Excellent. Well, we're going to use this opportunity to take a break to hear a word from our sponsor. And we'll be right back with Ugo Renze and more excitement from the property market. Thank you. Bad debtors can rob you of your time and money. They can destroy your whole business within weeks. Archaic debt collection agencies and expensive legal fees will drain your cash flow. But in one day, the PRMS Business Debt Prevention Course will teach you how to create late payment management procedures, invoice for immediate settlement, and eradicate existing debt. You'll study real-life examples to drag your business out of the red. Visit www.prmsltd.co.uk or call 0203-865-7138 to register now before bad debtors make your business another failed statistic. 
That's the word from our sponsor. Thank you very much. And we are right back into the cash flow show with the wonderful Ugo Arenze. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm still asking the questions. And Ugo, the question that I wanted to ask you, and this is a question or the set of questions that comes up now is a set that we ask everyone. So it, nobody escapes this unless, <laughs> unless you have uh, a brain freeze. So the main question is, what is your advice to anyone thinking of starting a business? My advice is to believe in yourself, but do your homework, right? And make sure that you're ready to do the hard work associated with building a business. And it's not just doing the work you love. Like, obviously, I would love to just sell pretty houses all day long. At, at the end of the day, that's why I got into it. But building a business is so much more. And one of the things about it is you have to get your business exposed, right? You have to find your customer. Every business has to find their customer. And whereas multinationals can pay for advertising, the rest of us have to do it off of word of mouth, networking, meeting people, getting referrals, getting recommendations. And that's the grind element of it. So you have to be prepared for the grind. You and I met through networking. I've stayed in touch. I've followed up. I do emails. I do newsletters. I do social media. There's so much more to you know, doing the core work you want to do. So I, I would say to people, you have to be prepared for the grind and believe in yourself. I think having been on this journey for me, you know, it's almost like you pull a string in terms. And one of the quotes I like is, you know, your business grows as much as you do. And if you're not prepared to put yourself out there, take risks, fall, you know, be persistent, be diligent, be perseverant, you're going to give up because it is so daunting. You're going to fail. You're going to have disappointments. I've had challenges. I've had, and I'm overwhelmed a lot of times. But if you can't, you know, commit to, I believe in what I'm doing and I believe in it, not just in what I'm doing, but how I'm doing it. Right. So anybody can sell your home, but it's also how you make people feel at the end of it. Do you make people feel like this person cared about me and my family and why we wanted to sell? I always have that conversation. What is selling about for you? What does it mean to you? If we can help you do this, how do we make that journey, that process better? When I show homes, you, you have to understand the home, the features, do that homework, not pass it on to someone else. So I guess my advice is do work you're passionate about, because if you don't love that work, you're going to give up, but recognize that there's so much more associated with it if you really want to do it at a high level and be successful at it. Excellent. Thank you. So we've also got another set of questions that we ask everyone. So, and just for um, the listeners, Guests often get these questions in advance, not all the questions, um, because I've got quite a few up my sleeve here, but they get certain questions in advance. And these are the questions that they do get. The first one is, what is your favorite film and why? Oh, <laughs> I guess Pretty Woman jumps out to me. I don't know why. I think it's just a fun, feel good movie. And perhaps that journey of it's a romantic comedy. And yeah, I mean, it's somebody who probably becomes a butterfly at the end, but is, you know, gritty, um, got some spunk and funkiness to her. And yeah, I like the story. What I find fascinating about that as a film choice is that this lady is working in a particular sphere yes. that's, um, uh, it's not accountancy, yeah, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's a very cash flow driven <laughs> business, yeah. 
<laughs> and that that's the bit that throws me of why so many women and I always ask you do you know what she actually uh, does of course we've watched a dozen of the times <laughs> okay fair enough so pretty woman it is and your favorite book um my favorite book I would say is Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison and I just I think it's a beautiful story I love her way of writing and this journey of this family and yeah just start to finish I think it's a pretty powerful book so if you don't know Toni Morrison I highly recommend her work and Song of Solomon definitely sits up there yes, for me. Yes, Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison and the last question that we always ask is what is your favorite album stroke single and why? Oh gosh um there's there's so much I like but um what Maybe do you come back to the most? I come back to a lot of Stevie Wonder, uh, quite like his fingertip song. But, you know, there's a lot that makes me get up and dance. I quite like Afro beats music as well. Hugh Masekela uh, was South African a musician. He's got a really nice just music genre that I quite find danceable, but the lyrics are great as well. So what about fella? there's a lot. Fella's up there, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's Fela Kuti for those people yes, who don't yes, um, uh, yeah, know their Afrobeat. No, yeah, um, one of the pioneers. He's, he's a dance master, but also so lyrical and was obviously very... Um, his His prose were incredible. I mean, he was really speaking truth to power as far as the, the powers that be, mm-hmm. so... Excellent. Okay. That's um, uh, very good. Now, what I wanted to, to, to um, move on to is, is that social media. Hmm. Now, I follow you on Instagram and my Instagram, and please people follow me on Instagram. My life is just, <laughs> is empty. This is an appeal for people to just follow us. I know we're in the debt business. I know we're in the late payment business, but we need love. Okay. This is just an appeal. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> moving. <laughs> but basically, your Instagram is fantastic. Okay, and the reason yeah. why I love your Instagram is that you manage to get a bit of property in there. You get a bit of social in there. You manage to then get almost like if an alien came down and said to me, I want to know about the tourist side of London, I'd point them to your <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. And it's amazing. Tell me, how did you fall in love with Instagram and how did you embrace it? You know? Well, it's not just Instagram, but we are on Facebook as well. But I think one of the things I've learned through Keller Williams is people do business with people they know, like, and trust, right? But you also have to be authentic to who you are. When I moved to London, I absolutely fell in love with the African art scene, the art scene, culture, a lot of things. And so, and again, remember, if we have kind of more that American realtor model, then the idea is people are going to buy into me. and. Part of me was like, well, I don't really want to show that social side because I don't think people are going to take me seriously. I want them to see more of the banking side. And Keller Williams was like, no, they need to see your social side because ultimately you're going to be working with people and they need to enjoy working with you. And because I have kind of this love of London and culture, I felt that I could show that off in a way that I'm doing all these amazing things or I get these opportunities to 
to do these amazing things, then why not show it off in a way that's authentic? And so that's been part, again, that's what I talk about putting yourself out there. So my natural inclination was never to really be on social media, but if I could engage, stay in touch with people, show off a lifestyle, right? And ultimately property goes quite nicely with the lifestyle because people are not just buying a home, they might be buying community, they might be buying a city, they might be buying an area of London. And our model is I'm not area restricted, so I get around London quite a bit. And so if I could show that off in a way that people find interesting, then you're also staying top of mind, right? Because you're remembering, and I can't keep shoving you know, a property in your face every day. Nobody cares, right? Because that's about you. It's not about engaging people. And I think that's very true because as I found that in, in the business that we have at PRMS, the problem that we have is is that people don't want to see pictures of people crying <laughs> and saying, oh, my life is ruined because my business is falling apart. People don't want to see that. They don't want to see me standing outside the court. That just scares people, you know? So it, it's important for people to see that we are approachable people, that we do have a business that is for the betterment, for want of a better expression, of, of the people that we work with. So, you know, it, it's difficult to get that balance because you don't want to be seen as a continuous party person. I think people think, man, you don't do yeah, any work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you have to then show another side to you, and that's interesting. I Plus, mean, you can also relate tips to what you do, right? Of course. Because um, if people can help see advice and guidance, that's also quite helpful. So, so again, it has to be a mix of those things where it reminds people you're personable, you're you're approachable, but here's some nuggets of what you've learned. If perhaps you've worked with someone and here's a particular story, people like case studies, they need to see themselves and, oh, that's a scenario where I might fall into. That's helpful advice. So for question for me now is what has been your biggest success in terms of your business? I mean, I could point to a selling a particular home and, and that's fine. But I think what I feel most proud of is that we're thriving in a tough market. And I think, you know, sometimes it's just being purposeful and growing business in a challenging market. And so for me, the fact that I'm six, seven years into this business as an independent agent is what I'm most proud of because everything else is about like a one-shot deal, but longevity for me and staying committed to what I set out to do is what I'm most proud of. I think that really resonates with me. I think the thing is when I see and I go to events now and I see so few people that I started off with, we've been in in business now 17 years wow. so we've seen a lot yeah. and so many people just disappeared mm. fell by the wayside or sometimes people sort of have a resurrection and like Lazarus they're back <laughs> but for the most part people when they're gone they're gone and so that's that's quite sad so to a certain extent you are in a position where what you've done is that you've made that transition from that full-time corporate world to being an independent realtor, real estate person in what is a very challenging, very difficult market. I remember when I first bought a property in the early 90s and man, you could sell anything. You could sell a shoebox and people would buy it. And I think I bought one of those dodgy properties, <laughs> you know, and it made me very, very aware of housing and why property. I mean, I live in southeast London and I think there was a gig by a, a guy called Tyler, the creator, the rap artist. 
and it was in Peckham. And people were giving Peckham such a hard time. And I know when Peckham was a bit, what's the best way? It wasn't, it didn't have the highest um, reputation. But now, yeah, Southeast London, is, it's whoa, you know, at the end of the day, it's got the size of the properties. Yep. It's got the space. Well, that's it. It's got the fundamentals. And that's what we help people understand. It's like, look, what you want is what does the structure and the architecture look like? What are the transport links, which is improving all Indeed. the time? And that's why, again, sometimes when I work with buyers, we talk about where's the transport opportunities? Where are the new areas coming up? What's fundamentally, you know, what does the area offer? Is it the schools? Is it the transport links? Is it the housing stock itself? And will those other things catch up around it in time, right? But a lot of buyers, I think, jumped on, especially off plan and just jumped into these areas. And and again, they didn't really analyze the statistics, the fundamentals, the numbers, and also looking two, three, four years out when those properties are finishing, what might the world look like? And so you can get burned if you're not careful, but certainly there's communities now that are very exciting, such as Peckham, such as Lewisham, yes, such as Lewisham. Uh, Dalston, um, King's Cross, I've sold around there, um, Elephant and Castle. There's a lot of communities. Why? Because they're still relatively close in and, and the amenities are starting to catch up. So Excellent. So what are the future plans for your business? Obviously, this is a challenging time, yep. but obviously your business is prospering, it's thriving. Yep. And if you keep selling homes in Southeast London, you'll do all right. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what are your plans? What, what's the plans going forward for the next, say, six to 12 months? Well, it's to continue to take market share where we can and to really speak to as many potential sellers as well as buyers. We're very excited about the buying proposition we offer because given it is a buyer's uh, market, I am absolutely passionate about this is actually a great time to buy. A lot of people are very concerned about Brexit, and I get all that. But if you can peel through the noise, then there are opportunities. I say... Everyone always says, if I knew then, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I kind of say, this is the now, right? So where the market is uncomfortable, is uncertain, that's where you want to take advantage. If we do our homework and look at things in terms of the fundamentals. So for me, I think it's more of the same. It's really using technology to, to the best of our ability. It's about expanding our messaging where we can. It's about continuing to grow the business and recognizing that, you know, this is a great time to do it. So I'm still fully committed growing my team. I've got, you know, a couple people that work with me, but expanding that so that we can really create a really full service, sustainable business that, that helps our clients across London. I think there is a fear in terms of buying, but there's a saying that always appears on the internet and whether you can apply it to podcasting or being on YouTube or buying a property, when was the best time to be doing it? 10 years ago. When's the second best time to be doing it? Now. now. Yeah. And you just have to find out what the market needs and offer that, right? And so I think it is challenging times, but people always need to sell and people always need to buy. Correct. It is not the market for prospecting, but it is the market that if you've been trying to... I have Americans calling me because 
value of the pound relative to the dollar has gotten so weak, they see opportunity and prices have corrected. So, and they take a long-term view. So we try to approach our and help our clients from both those sides regarding that. Sellers, there's opportunities to sell. I just completed on a sale last week, I think. Again, it might take some time, but if we price it right and if we address the issues that arise and help our buyers understand where there's value, there's an opportunity. Excellent. So. Excellent. So somebody's listened to this podcast and they think, Miss Ugo Renze woman. She sounds like she's kind of nice. I think I could work with her. Where do people find you? How do people get in touch with you? How can they contact you? Well, the first thing is our website is onyxpropertyconsultants.com. So you can find us on the web. You can also find me on social media. Ugo Arinze is actually my YouTube channel that I would love for people to subscribe to my YouTube channel because we're putting out weekly videos on property in London. And then on Instagram, Instagram and Facebook, Onyx London Life. So I'm sure if you find the website, you can get to click into those other areas. But absolutely, I'd love if you reach out on YouTube. The other thing about YouTube is for me, it's really about answering people's questions. So if you reach out to me, I just did something recently about first-time buyers, tips for first-time buyers. You can find that on YouTube. But you can ask the questions you want to ask, and we can create the videos around it so that other people might see value in that as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, Ugo Arenze, Onyx Property Consultancy, thank you ever so much for coming along to thank talk to you. us on the Cash Flow Show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, and as I said, thank you for coming along and having the time to speak with us and to let us know all about your business and what you do and your fantastic Instagram page and thank YouTube. You. <laughs> <laughs> Please reach out and connect and would love to help or answer any questions that people have. So thank you, Clayton. You're most welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke and I've been your host for the Cashflow Show. Keep watching, comment, subscribe and follow us wherever you can find us. Thank you very much and until the next time, goodbye.